Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk Mackler. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. This episode is sponsored by Luma Labs, maker of the Luma Loop 3.5, the modular quick adjust sling featuring hard mount technology. We'll tell you more about this later in the show. This week, we welcome Dan Bracaglia. Dan works for DP Review, and he takes pictures. And we wanted to get Dan on to talk about product photography, because what Jeff and I like to do is find things we know nothing about, then invite guests who know a whole bunch of stuff about it and get them to teach us things for free. Hang, hang on a second. It's not that we don't know anything about it. You and I have done a lot of product photography in the past, shooting all sorts of things for reviews and articles, but we want to take this to another level. Right. We haven't done it very professionally. Anyway, Dan, thanks for joining us. It's, it's nice my to talk to, to you. be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Jeff, Jeff just gave out the gist of the idea is that as, as technical <laughs> writers, we're often called on to make some product photos. I did an iPhone review a few weeks ago, needed a photo of the iPhone. Um, I did an Apple Watch review. I took a photo of the Apple Watch and they're good. They're serviceable. I know how to shoot photos, but there's a lot more to product photography to that. Now, I understand that you're the guy who does all or most of the product photography for DP Review? Yes, that's correct. I would say 90, 95% of it. Okay. So cameras, lenses, gadgets, Yep. Bags, yep, um, all sorts tripods, like everything. Yeah. it's a, it, I would say it's mostly cameras and lenses. Uh, that's kind of our bread and butter. But, uh, yeah, anything you can think of that uh, looks somewhat mundane or like an electronics, that's what we photograph. What's the smallest thing you've ever photographed? Man, a micro SD card maybe? Yeah, probably, honestly. I mean, we've done some uh, accessory roundups where – you know, you have to get something that kind of looks interesting and maybe it's a micro SD card. So for sure, lots of macro lenses. And what's the largest? The largest thing I've ever photographed was probably before I worked for DP Review uh, for a publication called Sound and Vision. We would occasionally, they'd bring in giant big screen TVs and uh, big speaker systems. And that was always a fun challenge in a tiny office to figure out how to drop a, back, <laughs> drop a backdrop and make it look good. But if I understand correctly, you've really got a studio in DP Review where you do this, right? We do, yeah, which is a nice, uh, it's a nice thing to have. We have a good amount of space, um, a couple of lights, nice um, camera stabilization system. So, yeah, we have the space to do it. Uh, we have the materials, and it's sort of just wherever your mind can take you, that's, that's what you do. So I've been to this studio, and it's really impressive in the sense that uh, just to sort of describe it for our listeners uh it's basically a big black room of course no windows uh because you don't want any reflections as we've dealt with uh you know just shooting like like kirk said iphones and things like that you have so much glass and metal and reflections it can be maddening and there's basically just this corner set up that has all sorts of backdrops that you can grab and uh lighting can you tell us a little bit, like, 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 what are the components that are there so that, you know, if, if somebody wanted to set up something, even if it's not at that scale, like, what are the things you need? Obviously, camera, some way to stabilize the camera, mm -hmm. some sort of lighting. Do you need, like, lots of lights? Like, what's... I think that's a, and I, that's a great question. I think um, 
the basic thing is you, you can really do good product photography with even even just one light. Um, as long as it's a nice soft light source, even a window will work. Uh, I actually, so the lighting setup I use is just two lights. One has a soft box, one has an umbrella. But I'm actually in there a lot with big pieces of foam core, you know, the things you can get for $3 at the craft store, big white foam core, and using that to reflect and bounce. And I'll even sometimes have two of those with my arms kind of going crazy like an octopus trying to get the light where I want it. But, um, it, you know, it's you don't actually need that much gear to get the kind of shots you want or to get shots that look clean and functional. So that's something I wanted to talk about. Um, I've been doing uh, flower photography recently in the past few months. Uh, I do it on my desk, which is where I am now. There's a window to the left. It faces east. So other than early in the morning, I've got, you know, soft light. Yeah. I put a black background over my iMac and my speaker, and I just set things up like that. And what I found is that I would much rather not even worry about a light and just use long exposures. Now, lights are good because they're going to give you shadows if you want them. Mm -hmm. But if you don't want shadows, what's the difference if your camera's on a tripod between having a light and shooting a long exposure? In my case, two or three seconds. Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, either way really works well. You're just, you're just trading um, the amount of light for exposure time. Uh, I guess the advantage in having um, light sources and not doing long exposures is you can move a little bit more quickly where, you know, that might not be as important for you because you're doing this creatively, you know, creatively uh, and trying to make something that's interesting or beautiful to you. So either way is actually a great way to do it. And that's, a, that's actually a great alternative if you don't have light sources that you can turn up and turn down is actually just using window light and putting your camera on a tripod and, and letting the exposure go for a bit. And my tip that I mentioned a few weeks ago is always set the timer on your camera so you don't press the shutter and shake the camera. Absolutely. I mean, you can you, you can use a cable release or something, but it's even easier to use a timer. My camera has a two-second and a 10-second timer, so I set it to two seconds. I press it. It stabilizes. It shoots. That's a, a great tip. I do that all the time, even when we're using fast shutter speeds, because it's just an easy way to avoid unwanted errors in your in your work. And actually, to your point about long exposures, we actually there's a product called... Um, the Ice Light, that's the name brand, but it basically looks like a lightsaber. It's a strip of LEDs in a tube. And I do some, sometimes we'll do long exposure photography for product shots where we'll use that on a two or three second exposure and wave it around basically creating, you know, the lights, the light where you want it. And that's a really fun, um, that's, that's something I'll do when I have some free time and I want to have a little bit of fun with it. So same exact concept though. Another tip, I use the flashlight on my iPhone sometimes when I want to get a corner of a flower um, with a little bit of light. I have a, a you know, your standard reflector that you have to twist into a pretzel to fold up. Right. And that works a little bit. The problem is that it doesn't focus on a specific area, whereas if you take a, a cell phone a flashlight, um, then you can get a smaller area highlighted if you want. Definitely. And I do, I'll do the same thing um, with long exposures in product photography. We'll just use a flashlight. Uh, with a very, you know, dense uh, point of light and use that in, usually for lens reflections to kind of bring out that cool, glowy, you know, trippy lens look. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the one thing that I discovered when I started doing this is I left my camera on auto white balance. And that wasn't really a good thing. So what do you do? Do you put a white card someplace when you start shooting all the time? Um, so with our lights, they're daylight balanced, which makes it really easy. You can just throw it on little sunny logo and everything's good to go. 
but I, that's actually, yeah, I would, I think trying to avoid auto white balance, especially if you're going to use window light or you're going to use a light source in your home is a really good idea. And yes, a white, a white balancing off a white card is a hundred percent the best way to get as close as possible to what you want. And it's something that once you learn how to do it, it takes about five seconds to do and it saves you a lot of time in processing. What else do you need to know about the technical side when you're doing product photos? Uh, I think Jeff said you use a pretty old camera for product photos. You don't use anything, you know, with a 50 megapixel no. sensor. And the thing is, most of our images are going up between 1,200, 2,000 pixels wide. So they don't have to be incredibly detailed. It's not a billboard. So we actually, for years, we used a Canon D30, which, I mean, that camera is old. Now we've upgraded to... Uh, an 80D, or I'm sorry, a, a 30D. Now we've upgraded to an 80D, um, which has just been superseded by the 90D, which I just had the pleasure of reviewing. Uh, sorry, that was a non-secretary. Um, That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, you really, you know, it's not that important. The idea, I think, um, what I always try to do, what's nice about product photography, is you can get the frame exactly as you want it. You don't you know, maybe if you're shooting something out out and about, you're going to crop in a little bit in post. That's no big deal. Um, but you can really use, you know, the entire resolution of your sensor and not have to worry too much about cropping, which is nice. I would say a, a macro lens is uh, is one thing that is really, really helpful because you, it's nice to be able to push in. Sometimes you want to get a tight logo, you want to get a detail, and that just makes it so much easier. Yeah, and when you pull out, your macro lens is going to be a pretty long focal length anyway. Exactly. Um, so you're going to be able to pull out and get the whole product. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's just another sort of way to keep things quick and easy. You get the light you, you like, you take the full product shot, and then you zoom it on in and get something that's a detail, and then you move on to whatever you're shooting next. So it sounds like this is really quick. That it, How long does it take? <laughs> let's, let's say you're shooting a, a new camera. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many different angles are you going to shoot? How much time would you spend doing this? So... I would say it'll probably take between an hour and an hour and a half. We we usually do everything from front of camera with a focus stack, so a frontal lens, and then the camera in focus, and I'll just do that in Photoshop, combine the two. We'll do a shot of the sensor, the top plate, the battery compartment, the connectivity points, the LCD, the control panels on the back, the electronic or optical viewfinder, if there is one, uh, comparison shots next to some competitors, comparison shots next to previous generations, and then I'll get into, once that's all done, that probably takes about 30, 40 minutes. It's pretty quick. Uh, I'll get into the fun stuff where I like to string the cameras up on um, fishing wire and drop colorful backgrounds behind them and just kind of get weird with it and see what, what sticks and what doesn't. And that's, that's the part that I really enjoy is just getting interesting looking images uh, of a camera, you know, make, basically making this camera look like something it isn't, like it's a spaceship flying through Alderaan or uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like a Death that. Star. Exactly. 2001 A Space Odyssey is a big yes. uh, influence in my product <laughs> photography. Yeah. Um, we're going to link to your website and in your product portfolio, there's a lot of photos like that. So how do you hang them on a wire? Um, what do you connect the wire to on the camera? So I just have an arm. Um, it's a So basically have a, a light stand with an arm that comes out that's pretty tough. And I just use fishing wire. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get about the height I want, stack it on an apple crate, tie them up real carefully with the bigger cameras. You've got to be really careful. And then, uh, yeah. The problem is sometimes they sway back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get them to stop moving. But then what do you do? You clone out the fishing, the, the fishing line afterwards? That's exactly it. So I used to use uh, thread. 
and we found the fishing line which is a lot easier to get rid of so yeah it doesn't okay, take so... too long the um uh the healing tool actually does a really great job yeah god bless adobe <laughs> um, so, so I'm thinking of another tool that I find useful when I do stuff like this. Um, you get one of those really soft, fluffy makeup brushes. Oh, yeah. Because of all the little bits of dust that you didn't see when you were shooting, but once you get it on screen, they just stand out like little tiny sparkly flashlights. Yeah, that's a great point, and that's actually something I, I overlook far too often is a thorough deep cleaning before shooting product photography is an absolute must. Yeah. Same with canned air. Canned air is the greatest thing in the world. Especially for the sensor. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can retouch to get rid of a lot of that. That's generally what I do if there's anything left over. Um, but it's true that you can save a lot of time doing that. Absolutely. So what other products do you shoot? Just cameras or have you done other product photography? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, Jeff just did a great article about the iPad Pro. And we had a fun little session where we kind of came up with creative ways to make the iPod pad look, you know, interesting and like, you know, a little bit different than perhaps it's been shown. Um, but it's mostly consumer electronics. I do a lot of that in terms of the actual in-studio product stuff. That's part of the stuff that I find interesting about this because, you know, obviously once you get past that initial list of all the angles that you need of, you know, your camera, of your object, just for the practical considerations, because those are the things that are going to be discussed in an article, what have you, like then trying to make it look different or creative, uh, you know, do you get inspiration from other things or is it just completely on the spur of the moment, hey, let's see if this iPad will stand up on its own. Well, it doesn't <laughs> quite, but we can put a little something behind that, and maybe you know the pencil will be at, at a, a weird angle. I mean, the, part of the reason why we wanted to have you on for this is because I, you know, I really enjoy just watching you work and watching you move things around, and the fact that you were moving quickly. And you also didn't seem to have like a big plan. It was just, okay, what if we go super close in on the Apple logo? And now how about if we just set it at an angle against a red backdrop or see if there's a reflection? Like, does that just come out of, oh my God, I've done this so many times. I need to think of something new or what? Yeah, I you know... I have so much fun doing it. I think that's kind of what it comes from. My background in photography has always been photojournalism. So product photography is pretty much the antithesis. And being able to like work very meticulously with sort of just a, you know, a, let's just see what happens attitude. It's really exciting to see an image just appear before you. And so I do just sort of, you know, I might have a little bit of an idea of how I want to do it, but um no, I just kind of play with it and see where it, where it takes me and try to use, you know, try not to get too sucked in and use the time constraints that I have to move forward. But I'm just, I'm a big fan of making um, product photography that is very graphical in nature and very eye-catching in nature because I think it's so, so consumer electronics, you know, people talk about them, they're sexy, they're this, they're that. But the photography, other than what's being put out by their brands, doesn't necessarily always reflect how sexy they are. It's hard to make a smudged up piece of glass look good. <laughs> and so I think it's exciting. It's an exciting, um, it's just a challenge. And I really, I just like to have fun with it. 
And a lot of product photography that brands release is not photography. It's 3D no. renders. Exactly, yeah. So when you see an Apple product on the Apple website, these are not photos of Apple products. So they don't have to worry about the dust or the light. You know, they do all this in a 3D um, program. They get the exact shading, the exact position, um, and it's, it's cheating. It's not photography. <laughs> it is. And I will say, though, shooting all this stuff, there is definitely in the back of my head, I, I have ideas of certain ways of doing it that, that work in certain ways that don't, things that I've just come through trial and error of figuring out. And I honestly think that's the, the key to product photography is just trial and error because it's so, it's so easy to see what works and doesn't and to, and to move along and try something new. And I often get super discouraged and even walk out of the room and come back in um, and then move something around in just the right way. I'm like, oh, aha, you know, actually, this isn't <laughs> terrible. This, is, this can look okay. So. Okay, let's take a break and hear from our sponsor and we'll be back in a few minutes and learn some more about product photography. Everyone needs a camera strap that is both comfortable and practical. The Luma Loop lets you carry your camera as a sling so you can get into shooting position almost immediately. When you're not shooting, the aluminum and carbon fiber slides on the strap hold your camera snug to your body and keep it out of the way. But the quick release design means your next shot is never out of reach. The new Luma Loop 3.5 features a redesigned mount and aluminum D-rings that make it less likely that the loop will get tangled or twisted. An updated QD loop for users of Really Right Stuff plates features a new aluminum mount that is stronger, lighter, and has the same low-profile ring design as the regular loop. Two new Arca mounts will be launching in early November. All the materials are American-made and Luma Labs offers a lifetime guarantee on everything they make. Photoactive listeners can get a 10% discount through the end of November 2019 using the code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word. Go to luma-labs.com to order your next favorite camera strap system. That's luma-labs.com. Okay, so one thing that drew me to this, and I mentioned earlier, is the flower photography that I've done. And Jeff and I got to talking a few weeks ago about that and about product photography for articles. And essentially, these are both forms of still life photography. Do you do any other types of still life photography? Uh, you know, not a whole lot. I do a little bit of portraiture just through part of my job also with deep reviews writing the camera reviews and as and long as the people are alive it's not a still life exactly right <laughs> um i i've recently gotten a little bit more into i have a, a garden at my apartment and i love shooting in the garden so i do that kind of stuff but that's all natural light so no for the most part the only the only product photography i do or still life is really just product stuff and product photography goes quite far when you look at I don't know, food photography, when you get your Absolutely. Sunday newspaper and there's a magazine with recipes, these are all, you could call this product photography. The, it's the same techniques, isn't it? Yep. Anything that's not moving, that's, I would call that product photography. One of the big differences is that food changes over time. You can't let it sit there for an hour under lights. It's going to dry, congeal. Um, things are going to happen. So have you ever been involved in a shoot like that? Because I find that an interesting process. You've got a time constraint. I have, yeah. I've shot a couple menus um, for restaurants in my day, which is always fun because that's exactly the, the challenge is it, it changes very quickly. Yeah. I, I saw someone shared a video on Twitter last week. Um, it shows how 
so you've got a pizza and there's a slice cut and you put a spatula and you pull it up and the and the cheese comes dripping off and they showed how it was done. They nailed down the pizza on either side of the slice and then they took like some Elmer's glue or rubber cement and mixed it with something to make the cheese look cheesy and <laughs> all of that stuff and, and yeah. you see some of these um what was one of the things that I saw if you're doing pancakes Use motor oil instead of um, maple syrup because the motor oil looks more realistic than the maple syrup does. The maple syrup just soaks into the pancakes and the motor oil drips around the side. It made me realize that in most product photography, there is trickery. Now, oh, yeah. not with what you're doing because you've got hardware, so it's different. Pouring, um, pouring motor oil over the cameras <laughs> just is not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so, interesting the lengths that people go to to be able to shoot their products to make them look realistic. Now, in, in what you're doing, I, I'd say it's closer to like catalog photography. We have to show something exactly as it is. People are going to look at those photos thinking, do I want to buy this camera? Is that button right over there? And it's got to be clear enough and well lit and enough shadow to stand out. Um, so you really don't have that many options, do you? No, you really don't. I would say... We kind of split it, though. Um, the lead image photography will get a little bit weird. You know, I might use a wide-angle lens and sort of distort just a little bit to make it look like it, the camera's jumping out at you. But the vast majority of it, we're, we're trying to be as true to scale as possible and as honest and direct as possible because we're trying to help consumers. We're not trying to, you know, pull a fast one on anybody. Yeah, you, you have a limit on the creativity that you can use. It's true. I would say, other than some of the lead images... Um, you know, and that's the thing. We, we break it down between photos that tell the truth and photos that are just interesting and grabby. So there's a little bit of wiggle room. Photos that tell the truth. Now, <laughs> we could do a couple of shows about that. Do <laughs> photos really tell the truth? Earlier, you mentioned painting out the uh, fishing wire. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm a little curious about how much post-processing you do. And, um, you know, even going down to the basics of, like, do you shoot everything in raw or is that just a, a big waste of time? You just shoot in JPEG because your, your environment is controlled so well. Yeah. You know, I, I always shoot raw plus JPEG and depending on time constraints, I try to get as close to right as I can in camera. So the JPEGs can just go right off. And honestly, Canon colors, Canon's JPEGs colors look great. That's what we use. It's a Canon camera. And a lot of times I will just go right into the JPEG. However, occasionally I want to add a little bit more dynamic range, pull the shadows. So post-production is pretty low-key. Other than some adjustments to exposures and curves, uh, I'll open it right into Photoshop from Adobe Camera Raw, clone out the fishing wire, take a look at dust spots and little smudge spots that I may have missed. Um, but I don't go too crazy. I used to work in print where you really had to zoom everything into 100 and make sure everything is gone. Thank God I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> um, so, no, it, it's honestly a pretty light lift uh, post-production-wise. And that fishing wire is a lot easier to get rid of than it may sound. It doesn't sound easy, but I guess it is because the, the tools we have now are so, um, you know, the AI and machine learning and all that stuff, they're really so efficient. Uh, I've seen, you know, you can clone people out of a photo of, in a landscape and it still looks real. Um, yeah. we're getting to the point where, um, where photos don't tell the truth anymore, do they? <laughs> no, they really, they really, tell. it's scary. So 
When, when you do DP review, you never use photos that are provided by the brands, do you? No, we don't. We try to do, we try to maintain our own sort of visual tone and visual cadence. Um, and that carries through to our Instagram account and our social, other social accounts. Uh, just, you know, my, my goal as photo editor is to make sure we have that more, our photos get stolen the most. I want people to <laughs> rip off our product photography because it looks really good. I want it to boil to the top of Google image ser- searches. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no real benefit there, but I think it's good to have that visual tone and to have it be related to a brand. Well, the benefit is that someone's looking for a photo of a product and they may end up on your website. And so you get page views. There you go. Exactly. And so I'll go with that. Good, good. No, but good looking photos do attract people. Although, to be fair, good-looking photos of cameras they kind of get boring after a while unless, you know, you really have serious gear acquisition syndrome. Well, uh, unless you're at that point where you're like, I need a new camera, and then you've fallen down into four hours of Google searches. Exactly. And you're, you're looking at every little tiny speck. I mean, that's kind of the advantage of DP Review. Like, you can find yep. out exactly, like, every little tiny detail. Uh, sorry to make a plug for them, but... You know, that's that's just the way it is. Like you, you want to get lost, that's where you go. And that's what we try to provide. Is you know, maybe the pretty picture of the camera floating in space is what gets you in the door. But then you know, hopefully, all the the tests and and the rigor is what keeps you there. Well, I'm going to just veer a little bit because there's something I've been thinking about lately. Um, on DP Review or any other site, the new camera comes out, and ooh, here's sample photos taken with this camera. And everyone has nice-looking sample photos because they've gotten rid of the bad ones. And I don't see any point in looking at sample photos. Now, I might, if I'm looking at a specific lens, at a, let's say a wide-angle lens, and I want to see, well, although even though I wouldn't know if the software has corrected some, um, you know, vignetting or aberrations or whatever, but in most cases, sample photos, they all look fine. Yeah, you know, I think sample photos are, are definitely more useful for lens shopping than camera shopping. Um, especially given the fact that a lot of cameras have the same sensor. And so if it's a known quantity, it kind of comes down to the photographer and the scenario in which you're shooting. That being said, people love sample photos. You know, that's their prerogative to enjoy them and we provide them. Um, We just at the very least try to tell you what we've done to these samples after we've shot them. So our lens, uh, our lens samples, we always turn everything off so you can kind of just get an idea of this is what the lens is at its purest. And then sometimes we'll include here it is with corrections. So you can also understand right. what, you, what you might get. Plus, I don't know if this is on every set of sample photos, but often um, you can download the raw photos from DP Review. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we try to give you everything. Yeah, so that way I can grab some photos, get the raw files, and look at how they really look instead of looking at your interpretation of them. Exactly. And I think that's that's fair. But otherwise, you see some random blogger blogging about this new camera lens and, ooh, these wonderful sample photos. You know, here's the here's the beer bottle on the bar with the right. background blur. And, you know, yep. it, it gets a little bit boring after a while. But hey, I, people have to make a living. I guess so. I was just on a on a trip shooting a new camera, shooting the same sample photos as, uh, you know, 10 other journalists who are going to have the same pretty pictures. But that's just how the industry goes, I guess. One thing I'm curious about before we wrap up, um, as you've done this, have you noticed specific trends in product photography? You know, because a lot of times you've got like the object and everything is super soft focus in the background, or maybe there's more more of a of a designer look 
now. Um, is that something that that sort of shifted, or is it kind of all over the map? You know, I think it's in, I think it's really gone two directions. I think you see publications and sites with really good graphical product photography, and then you have the exact opposite, which is almost like the YouTube version where it's it's used, it is what it is, it's in the field, it's grimy, it's smudgy, but it's real. And I think that that's kind of how thing, it's sort of splitting in those two directions, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, you have sites like Wired and Wirecutter and all the, the big tech blogs, they do really good product photography. But that's not to say that the real world stuff doesn't tell the same sort of story. It's just maybe not quite as uh, grabby. Okay. Um, Dan, thank you very much. Um, we're going to learn from this so we can improve our product photography. Um, if anyone else listening doesn't need to do product photography, just remember all of these techniques apply to any kind of still life photography, whether it's flowers, whether you're taking photos of things you're selling on eBay. Um, there are lots of cases where you may want to do still life product photography. And I think this is all stuff that is a lot easier, even at the higher levels, than I expected. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of uh, you know, practice and repetition to get it right. But, you know, again, it's another one of those photo things where you don't need to go out and spend $1,000 on lighting equipment to get started. You can use a window. You can yeah. use a window. That that should be – I'm going to put that quote in my Instagram profile. You can use a window. <laughs> Dan, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Dan. Okay, it's time for our snapshots. Jeff, what have you got this week? So this week I have uh, something on review for something I'm going to be writing about uh, in a while. I'm not really sure. It doesn't have a due date yet. Um, I have a SanDisk Extreme Portable SSD. So it's a little... Uh, little hard drive basically but of course it's not a hard drive because there's nothing spinny inside of it it's just an ssd um it's teeny tiny uh you know it's like the length of uh you know my my index finger um and it's even smaller than an iphone se it's even smaller than an iphone se this has two terabytes of data on it which is kind of crazy um yep. and it's it's weather sealed it's water resistant so it's because it's an SSD and because it uses a USB-C port with a, uh, I believe, USB 3.1 connection, uh, it can transfer data up to 550 megabytes per second. So that is, I mean, it's certainly fast enough that I can run, say, another operating system that I've not yet installed on my computer yet because <laughs> Catalina's a little shaky right now. Um, but, you know, for, for photographers, this is great because this gives you an option to, uh, you know, back up your photos in a very small enclosure, something easily portable. It even has like a little loop that you can connect, um, you know, a, a carabiner or something to it. And how much does this cost? Because two terabytes, that to me sounds expensive. Two terabytes is surprisingly not terribly expensive. So the two terabyte version is uh, like $270 at, at Amazon. So, you know, definitely a, a good chunk of money, um, but it's also two terabytes. The one terabyte is more reasonable. It's about 170 and the 500 gig version, which is also, you know, perfectly good if it's something that you're just using to take, uh, you know, and back up your photos on a trip or something is less than a hundred dollars. Wow. That's yeah. good. So 
let me get this straight. You need a dongle that connects to it to put your SD card in, right? No, your SD card doesn't connect to this because there's no interface for it. This is just storage. So, so how do you put storage on it? So you connect it to your computer and, and transfer over. Okay. Or if you have a recent iPad Pro running iPad OS 13, you can connect via USB-C on both ends, and the Files app will now let you transfer photos directly to external storage. So, for example, you could import photos into your iPad in the Files app and then right. make a copy of them to this as your like secondary backup copy. That's pretty interesting. That's yeah. tempting. The the five hundred gigabytes is tempting. I don't. I wouldn't need two terabytes, um, but at that price, and of course, you can use it as an SSD for anything else to back up your computer or store files or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Or you know, if if you're also recording video, that's yes. really good for something like this. Okay, Kirk, what do you have this week? I have a new book because I haven't talked about a book in one episode or two. We cannot have enough books. I, there's no limit on books here. We love books. It, it turns out that Michael Kenna has a whole bunch of new books coming out. Um, and when he told me about this one, he said, it's this phone book-sized book of my photos called Beyond Architecture. And that made me think of two things totally off topic. Is One, we're both old enough to remember what a phone book is. <laughs> and two, he was talking about the phone books that we used to get back in the day. Uh, the last time I got a phone book was this spring, and on the cover it said this would be the last one that's given out here. It was Yellow Pages, and it was about the thickness of, I don't know, a slim volume of poetry or something. Wow, wow. Um, but anyway, this is a massive book. It's about 400 pages um, beyond architecture, and I think that name is chosen because a lot of the photos are of architecture, and I talked about um, Michael Kenneth's book, Rouge, uh, which was about a Ford plant in Detroit a while back. Some of those photos are there. Um, there are photos of bridges. There are photos. Here's one of the Sydney Opera House. Here's um, the Empire State Building. Um, but some of the photos are not quite architecture. Some of them are just random street photos in Japan, and some of them are fields. And I, I think what it is is that uh, it's a publisher who decided to make a big book with a lot of different photos, but to limit it to certain types of photos. Um, there's a photo of Stonehenge, and technically that's architecture, but it's not really the same. Um, he has another book coming out, a French publisher. Um, he told me, um, had noticed that he has a lot of photos of birds. And so he's had Michael Kenna go through his archive and take all his photos of birds. So it's going to be a pretty big book of Michael Kenna's photos of birds coming out next year. And, and he has an interesting way of titling photos. In fact, I think one of the ones in the exhibit that I went to in July was called 242 crows or whatever type of bird oh, it yeah. was. So he likes to count them all precisely. Um, in, in any case, this is a big book. It's heavy. It's not very expensive. Um, I think it's $60 in the States. Um, and if you don't have any Michael Kenna books yet, then get this one. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the end. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. 
You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast. 